You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Hello, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Uh, You know, there's no doubt that the retirement and financial landscape have seen many big changes recently. You may have heard that the SECURE Act 2.0 was passed. We've encountered inflation prices over the last year. We've seen uh, big increases in interest rates, especially short-term interest rates. And you've seen the effects of market volatility on your investment portfolio. And while these changes can add new concerns to your plate, there are both new and old factors affecting retirement that are important to consider in this constantly changing landscape. So in today's show, we're going to talk about where we are, where we're headed, how can you be successful in what are some turbulent economic times. Now, I had mentioned last week that this week we would be having on Dr. Harold Black. He's former professor. uh, He's a professor emeritus at the Department of Finance over at the University of Tennessee. Importantly, he has been a visiting scholar at the Federal Reserve and at the Congressional Budget Office and has served as chairman of the Nashville branch of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Uh, He was unable to to be here with us this week. We're going to have him on next week. And that'll be very interesting because we're going to talk about Federal Reserve policy. We're going to talk about interest rates. We're going to talk about the federal debt. Uh, You may have seen this week, Thursday, we hit our debt ceiling. You may not have seen that. Hasn't been talked about a lot in the main press. So it'll be a very, very interesting conversation next week. But this week, let's look at kind of our outlook and where we are. Um, it's, It's interesting I am looking here at a tweet in January of last year from Bloomberg media personality Jonathan Farrow, and he recapped how 14 leading financial firms foresaw how the markets would end in 2022. Specifically, where would the S&P 500 end? So again, this was January a year ago. And it was looking forward, where will the S&P 500 in the year? When we went, when we ended 2021, the S&P 500 was at 47.66. The, the S&P 500 ended the year at 38.39. So it was down pretty, almost 20%. But what did these 14 firms that were tweeted out in January of last year, what did they predict for the end of the year 2022. And I think this is very relevant because this is kind of the time of year, December, and then throughout January where we hear a lot of predictions on the market. And here's what we have. Of those 14 financial firms, the most optimistic 
was Oppenheimer. And they had the S&P 500 ending at 5330, uh, which would have been about a 10 to 12 percent gain in the S&P 500. So nobody was predicting real robust returns. Uh, but ironically, 11 of the 14 predicted that the S&P 500 would be higher at the end of 2022 than it was at the beginning of 2022. Only three, Wells Fargo Bank of America and MS, predicted it would be down. And the worst prediction was that it would be down 7 or 8% at a closing price of 4400 So again, we started the year at 4766 the predictions were mostly optimistic. We ended the year at 38.39. So that's pretty interesting. Um, it's that time of year. So these guesses last year lend credence to my assertion that really there's only one market prediction worth making. And that is that following a consistent disciplined investment process, will lead to better outcomes than trusting the predictions of financial experts. You know, predictions are the fun parent of investing. On the one hand, they're appealing, they're fun, they're fluffy, they give a sense of security, so long as you can overlook the fact that it is a false sense. I've said many, many times over the years, the two things that I know about the markets is that they're unpredictable and they're volatile. And especially in the short term, the shorter the term, the prediction, uh, the more it's just a guess. Now, the, then you have investing processes, which is a rather dull thing by comparison due to its steadiness. You focus, focusing on the process means admitting that we really don't know what the market's going to do in the short term, but it's ironically reassuring for the asset managers and financial advisors who understand the value of consistency and discipline. A reliable process can provide a more tangible sense of security than predictions because even if you don't know what will happen in the future, you can trust that your investment process has a plan for how to respond. So what happens when the sizzle fizzles? You know, the value of having a plan and consistently following it shows up throughout life, whether it's losing weight, training for a marathon, learning a new language, as well as achieving a financial goal. However, ego can be an obstacle for consistency. You know, in distance running, there's a temptation to go faster than is appropriate for a training session. You know, I'm a swimmer. And I haven't been able to swim recently because I've had a shoulder injury that I've been doing some therapy and I'm so anxious to get back in the water. Uh, but when I swim, it's tempting to want to try to exert, you know, go harder or faster than I really should for the length that I'm swimming for that day. In investing, there's an incentive to make a prediction about how something will increase in value in order to appear smart. And our 24-hour news cycle and trending on Twitter world often rewards predictions with attention. And for those who love uh, the sizzle, it's, it's possible that it's the worst thing that can happen if, you're pr if the predictions come true in the short term because it can inflate ego and encourage them to continue to make predict predict projections 
about things that are essentially unknowable. And so we have to be very, very careful. Now, we don't want to bury our head in the sand. We don't want to ignore current conditions. But we also have to fundamentally understand that taking risk in the investment world is a longer-term game. You know, you have to be looking at a minimum of five to seven years to have any kind of confidence that an investment mix can be productive. So I'll go back to what I've often said. You know, if you said, Jim, where will the where will the market be a year from now? Where will the S&P 500 be from a year from now? I mean, what are the possibilities? I mean, it could be down 25 or 30 percent. It could be up 20 or 25 percent. That's quite a range of potential outcomes. You know, if you said, where's the, the market going to be in 10 years? Well, it's not going to be down 20% per year for the next 10 years. It's also not going to be up 20% per year for the next 10 years. At least, I mean, I can't promise that. I'm very, very confident that neither of those outcomes will happen. In other words, the range of outcomes in the S&P 500 is a lot tighter if we're looking 10 years from now. So it's essential in our market investing to, 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 to have a good process to identify what your time horizon is for your investing and not get too caught up in short-term predictions. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have, that we're not strategic about short-term opportunities. You know, I feel very confident that there is quite a bit of, well, let me say it this way, there is quite a bit of, of potential for continued volatility in the stock market this year, which I'll get into in the next segment. Now, where does that end the year? Who knows? Is the S&P 500 up? Is it down? I don't know. But I see a high potential for volatility. So there are some things you can be doing to, in terms of rebalancing, asset allocation, diversification, to be smart about the, the economic conditions we're in. But, you know, when we start trying to time what may happen in the short term in 3, 6, 12 months, I think that can be very, very dangerous. So, you know, why bother with market predictions? The shorter term the prediction, the more it says about the person making the prediction or the firm making that prediction than it does uh, what actually may happen. Now, but there is a lot of potential for volatility. We've got what looks like continued rising interest rates. We've got, it looks like a disagreement between what the stock market thinks the Federal Reserve is going to do through the year and what the Federal Reserve is saying it's going to do. And then as I mentioned in, that for, in, the, in the opening, we hit a debt ceiling this week on Thursday. And what does that mean as we move into 2023? What can we learn from 2011 when we hit the debt ceiling? We actually had a similar makeup in Congress and in Washington. So when we come back, we are going to talk about the year ahead and why I'm saying I see a potential for a lot of continued volatility. 2022 was a very volatile year. Uh, 2023 looks like it could continue to be pretty choppy. So we'll talk about why and what should you be doing about that. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. 
Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we're talking about 2023 and the outlook. We have to be careful about market predictions in that first segment. I kind of said, why bother? Because in the short term, we have no idea. Uh, That doesn't mean we bury our head in the sand because we do want to be cognizant of the current conditions and understand the increased risk for market volatility. So let's kind of visit this. Uh, You know, we've had rising interest rates. Federal Reserve has said they're going to continue to raise rates some. We don't expect the type of large increases we saw throughout a lot of 2022. Um, It's interesting because the Fed's policy and what is the Fed going to do about inflation has been, in my view, the primary driver of the market volatility we saw in 2022. Because remember, the stock market is trying to look forward. Where will we be in six months? How will actions today or data that is looked at today affect where we are in six months or seven months or four months or eight months, but roughly six months? And so the market has been trying to get its arms around the Federal Reserve policy on interest rates because the more interest rates, the more aggressive the Fed is at raising rates and tightening policy, the more likely we see a recession, economic draw, you know, economic slowdown, all those things. And so the market's just been very choppy. Well, on that topic alone, we see some disagreement between what the market is interpreting and what the Federal Reserve is saying. The Federal Reserve has been very, very clear that in addition to a few more rate increases, that it does not plan to start decreasing rates in 2022. Uh, Excuse me, 2023. In other words, Whatever they increase rates to, right now the the, the the higher end of the over the federal funds rate is four and a half percent. Many expect it to end up at five to five and a half, five and a quarter, five and a half, something like that. But that they they will leave it there for a while. But the market is interpreting the data and thinking that the Fed will in fact start decreasing interest rates late in the year. Why? The, Fed's, the market's expectation that we will see recession and declining economic data. Well, anytime the Fed and the markets disagree, then you have potential for volatility. And we likely, as the Fed increases rates, we are likely to continue to see the, the economy slow down. We're likely to see corporate profitability slow down. Then we have this added element of the national debt and the current makeup of Congress. So we don't want to get political about this, but we are going to rip the Band-Aid off. Thursday, we hit our debt ceiling. So the political environment in D.C. is very similar to what it was in 2011 when we had a divided Congress coming out of that midterm election. And the Republicans could not get their own members on the same page regarding policy. Now this was in 2011. And so the two parties had to immediately engage in what I would call budget trench warfare, leading to a government shutdown at the end of quarter one, 2011, and a debt crisis a few months later. 
Not only that, but the events were compounded by a series of other occurrences, a slowdown in corporate earnings, and an economic crisis in Europe. Wow, that sounds awfully familiar to today. And I'm looking at the t a timeline from late 2010, starting with the midterm elections into 2011 and through 2011, and what we see is volatility. And we saw, uh, you know, we, we, we saw a tax cut deal in early 2011, which helped the market kind of surge. We had a budget fight. The market went down. The market went back up with budget success. Then we had a debt ceiling deal. Then we had uh, the debt ceiling talks breaking down. The S&P 500 down, or the Standard & Poor's downgraded U.S. debt. And then the Fed stepped in with Operation Twist. So what we had that year is we had quite a bit of volatility. Now we ended the year up. The stock market was up in 2011. But we had a lot of choppiness in getting there. What the Republicans learned during that period is that the party has more leverage to cut spending if they do nothing during the lame duck session, which is what happened this year. Nothing was, I mean, we had that omnibus bill passed, but in terms of budgets and debt, nothing was really done in the lame duck session that we just ended. And so now we head into 2023, we have current debt at $31.4 trillion. With a divided government, budgets and debt ceiling deadlines are the limited tools available for the Republicans to cut spending. And I know there's no surprise to you, but Democrats are unlikely to go along with that process. So we now have a series of fiscal cliffs and debt ceiling concerns. We have deficit politics. Now then, there are two other overhanging problems that are heading into the debate this year. Interest costs, interest on the debt, is up 44% in the last three months and now represent the largest share of the U.S. economy since 2000. And I found that when net interest costs hit about 15% of tax revenue, financial markets have historically begun to impose discipline on policymakers. Today, net interest costs are at about 11% of tax revenue but will be close to 15% later this year. And then if we look at tax revenue, tax revenues declined in December compared to the prior December by 6%, mostly driven by lower income taxes. December taxes are, revenues are a pretty good in leading indicator that April tax revenues, which of course is the largest month of tax collections, will probably be down and maybe down substantially. So when we look at all this, we see potential for a lot of choppiness and volatility. So the debt ceiling's been hit. What does that mean? Because had, we hadn't heard much in the media. The U.S. Treasury will have several months to move money around and give Congress time to act. Now this has been expected for July, but that timeline has been pulled forward because we're in a complete regime change on interest costs because of the, high, the increasing borrowing costs of the debt. So in a note to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, 
this week, Janet Yellen stated that the Treasury's measures to make ends meet with a, when we've hit a debt ceiling would last through June the 5th of this year. Uh, but as many of y'all can probably figure out, these extraordinary measures taken by the Treasury are su subject to considerable uncertainty. So there are a few things that, that investors need to know. You know, does that mean that the U.S. is going to default on its obligations? You know, if the debt ceiling is not raised, it means the Treasury will not be able to issue new debt when the limit is reached. So rating agencies and political commentators will refer to this as leading to a default, or at least a technical default, as the U.S. Treasury cannot pay its full obligations on time. But I, that's really not a true picture of the story because the U.S. has more than enough cash flow to ensure that interest payments are made. So even under the most extreme circumstances, default is unlikely. However, other discretionary spending programs will likely not receive funding, and rating agencies may refer to this as a technical default. And there will also be times when large interest payments need to be made, and the U.S. government will not have a large cash flow to make all of its payments, which could lead to a squeeze. So, you know, let's look at the outcome here. The debt ceiling is going to be raised eventually. I think default is unlikely, but we've learned that the process of getting to that finish line could be very unpredictable and choppy. You know, we're, we're headed to a fairly toxic debate over the debt ceiling. We have a, a slim Republican majority in the House that already has not been able to agree on things. You know, in early August, a deal was, raised, was, was reached to raise the debt ceiling, but stocks got pummeled in the process as the market had to re-rate political uncertainty and future political risks. So, you know, if history is our guide, 2011, we had a lot of choppiness. But by the end of the year, things had sorted out. The markets were actually up for the year. Now, ultimately, we know the U.S. is going to come to a resolution. It's, you know, when I was in college, I hate to tell you this, but I'd kind of wait to the last minute to get all my studying done for big tests. I knew I'd get it done. And I knew my habits. I knew my brain. I knew what I needed to do to, to get an A on the test. So ultimately, I knew I would get there. We know the process is going to get there. We know the debt ceiling is going to be raised. We just don't know how painful it's going to be, but it is probably going to be painful. So the overhang in the market over the next few months is likely to be a lot of political uncertainty, which can certainly lead to market volatility because of the uncertainty. So what does this mean for you? I mean, I've, you know, I've kind of talked in the first segment that we shouldn't make short-term market predictions, but I'm talking about the potential for market volatility. To be clear, I don't know if markets will be volatile. What I really don't know is where will we end the year? Will the market be up or down? Uh, I do think there's high potential for volatility. How do you Create, how do you balance your portfolio to not have 
as much volatility as the stock market. You know, when we talk about diversification and balance, we know that we can own a lot of different things. That the best way I would explain what diversification is supposed to look like is you own several things in your portfolio, and if one thing zigs, another zags. That way, if one thing's way down like stocks, hopefully they're not all the way down. Now, last year, that type of traditional stock and bond diversification, 60-40, did not work very well because the S&P 500 was down over 18%, and the U.S. bond market was down 13%. But there were other asset classes like energy and natural resources. There were other asset classes that did hold their value a lot better. Uh, and we would expect more balance to return to the markets. But if what can you specifically do if there is a high potential for market volatility? You can actually own volatility as an asset class and as a diversification tool. What does that mean? That means that you have a small piece of your portfolio that profits from market volatility. When markets are sharply up and sharply down, it's like you have a lever in your portfolio that profits from that. And that's just another tool we have to add diversification. Do we know markets are going to be more volatile? No. Should we put too much of our money in things that profit when markets are volatile? No. But can it be an additional hedge that when mark, you know, markets zoom, you zag? Absolutely. So how you diversify and balance your portfolio becomes very, very critical. Now, ultimately, it's still to keep critical to keep a six to seven year view at a minimum when it comes to market investing and risk investing. Even with a diversified portfolio that's not just in stocks, you still have to be looking out five, six, seven years to know that things can kind of work out because I don't, you know, we just don't know in the short term. But you can be prudent and smart and take advantage of opportunities in the short term. Now, I talk about a lot of these things in my classes. My University of Tennessee is the next class. University of Tennessee is having their next class uh, in February. And those dates are February the 2nd and the 9th, two successive Tuesdays. Um, you can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. That's the na name of the class, financialsurvivalforretirement.com. You can go there and download a syllabus. I talk about seven key areas for being successful in retirement. If you're within five or six years of retirement or you're already retired, then that class is for you. That's why UT set up the class, um, and that's the target for me to come teach it. So we'd love to see you there. The course fee is $59. There's a discount for a married couple. Um, you can go to that website. You can click a link to register uh, with the University of Tennessee. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Secure Act 2.0, which had a lot of changes for how retirement account access is going to be handled in the future, what the rules are for taking money out of your retirement accounts, how you can contribute potentially more to your retirement accounts. So a lot of it, uh, ramifications. So when we come back, we'll have more about Secure Act 2.0 as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again 3 to 4 p.m. You can catch all of our show's podcast on our website. Go to BroganFinancial.com and click on radio. We're talking about the likelihood of, in, of continued volatility in the markets in 2023. Uh, I do want to talk about Secure Act 2.0. You know, this was passed in the Omnibus Bill, the Consolidated Appropriations Act, that was signed on December 29th by President Biden. And it included a wrapper in the, in that uh, a, a section in there ca- called Secure Act 2.0, commonly. Uh, the Secure Act, the original, was passed at the end of 2019. And if you remember, it raised the, R, the, the RMD age to 72 instead of 70 and a half. So again, that's the age you have those required minimum distributions from your IRAs, 401ks, and other retirement accounts called RMDs. But it had some other things. The, the, the Congress is trying to increase access to retirement account savings, but also, if it can, help short-term revenue for the federal government, too. Uh, But ultimately, it's trying to improve access so people can self-fund their own retirement and not depend just on Social Security. There's really only one major provision that is effective for this law for 2023. Uh, Most of the things in the new law don't really come into effect until 2024, 2025, and even even beyond that. The number one thing that happens, though, immediately is it changed the age for required minimum distributions to 73. The biggest impact is if you have a birthday, it's you were born in 1951. So if you were born in 1951, that means you were going to be 72 this year. And so that means your first required minimum distribution would have been this year. But with this new law, it is not this year. It is now next year. You do not have to take an RMD in 2023. Now, if you you were born in 1950 and you turned 72 last year, no relief. You continue to have to start doing your, to continue to do your RMDs. But if you're born at 1951 to 1959, The RMD age is now 73. So that gives you one more year. You know, you hear me talk a lot about the sweet spot of tax planning, which is between retirement age and the age that you have these mandatory taxable distributions from your retirement accounts. Well, now you have another year of that sweet spot before you have to take distributions and have that forced taxation from your retirement accounts. So more opportunity. Now, a lot of this is because people are living longer and longer lives. So the age of 70 and a half, which is what it was before 2020, and that's what it was 20 years ago, you know, with people living longer and longer lives, the government is pushing back that age. And then if you were born 1960 or later, your RMD age has now been pushed to 75. 
But for this year, the people that are affected, people, if you were born in 1951, you have another year to do tax planning. And then if you were born later than 1951, you also will have additional years to do effective tax planning. Now, what are some of the other provisions in the SECURE Act that you probably do want to be aware of? Um, designated Roth accounts in employer plans, like a Roth 401k, a Roth 403b, they are being encouraged under the new law. The, so Congress is encouraging you to do Roth. Uh, and, and think about it from a federal budget perspective. You know, when you add money to a traditional 401k, you don't have to pay tax on that money this year. So if I put $10,000 in my 401k, my taxable income goes by, down by $10,000. So if I'm in a 24% tax bracket, that saves me $2,400 in income tax. But look at it from Washington's perspective. That's $2,400 less of tax revenue. If I put that $10,000 in a Roth, I have to pay that $2,400. So it's Congress focusing again, as often happens, on the short term potentially at the sacrifice of the longer term, which does bring up concerns down the road. But that's something you can take advantage of because Roths down the road are tax-free when they come out. Now, up until this new law, you know, you did not have, you, you've never had an RMD required on a Roth IRA, but believe it or not, under the old law, there was a, an RMD required at age 72 on a Roth 401k or Roth 403b or other retirement account at work. That was removed. So, you know, if you have a Roth 401k, there's no longer an RMD at age 72. And then the catch-up provisions element that begin next year, not this year, but next year, individuals over age 50, of course, can contribute a salary reduction catch-up contribution to an employer uh, this contribution is currently limited to $6,500 per year. But beginning next year, employees who are 60 to 63 years old can take advantage of a higher catch-up contribution of $10,000. And then the, the Secure 2.0 also offers indexes to be able to increase those catch-up provisions more quickly for individuals over age 50. So basically, if you're 50 and older, the inflation adjustment will be indexed more quickly so you can continue to add more to your retirement account. And beginning next year, if you're between 60 and 63, you can put quite a bit more money in your retirement account at work. Now, there's a limitation. Starting next year, if you make over 145000 in wages, your catch-up contribution starting next year has to go into Roth, not the traditional 401k. So, you know, your regular contribution can go traditional, but the catch-up contribution has to go Roth because Washington wants to get paid the tax revenue on that catch-up contribution starting next year. But then that's more tax-free money for you down the line. You know, when you look at all these things, the other things that the, the SECURE Act 2.0 did is it just made access to 401ks easier, 
for employees. It made things more mandatory. It also adds annuity investment options where you can create your own kind of annuity pension plan inside a 401k. But the biggest thing is the tax planning that's required with these types of contributions and distributions. You know, do you want to, should you be taxed up front? Should you be, you know, which you are in a Roth versus down the line when you do a, a traditional 401k? You have a, a bigger sweet spot now if you're born after in 1951 or later because you don't have RMDs until a later age. So tax planning is so critically important in retirement. You know, it's not how much you make, it's how much you get to keep. And understanding these provisions and how to take advantage of these provisions and how to protect yourself from some of the negative provisions is critically important. Now, if you'll go to my website and sign up for our electronic newsletter, our e-newsletter that comes out every week, we are preparing a guide on Secure Act 2.0. It'll be out this next week. If you sign up for our e-newsletter, you'll get a link to that Secure Act 2.0 guide when it comes out this week. We're just putting the finishing touches. It's almost ready. And so you'll have something in writing that you can refer to <coughs> for a lot of these major provisions. But staying on top of legal changes and adjusting your planning accordingly provides great opportunities and also, <coughs> excuse me, can protect you from unnecessary risks. When we come back for our last uh, segment, we're going to talk about how to achieve a life of fulfillment in retirement. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. Check us out online, broganfinancial.com. You can catch all of our podcasts. Also, uh, you can click on radio. Uh, click on classes. You'll see all of our upcoming classes. Um, I'll be teaching through the University of Tennessee in February, my two-part class, Financial Survival for Retirement, February the 2nd and 9th. Also got an income planning class coming up this spring, a tax planning class. You can get our full schedule at broganfinancial.com. Again, click on classes. Now, whether you're planning on retiring in the future or already in retirement, Retirement can sometimes seem very daunting, and so many people idolize all the free time you'll have once you retire, and you could make it sound like a fantasy land of freedom and fun, but it's also important to know that retirement can be difficult. If you're already retired, you may know what I'm talking about, because not only is your financial security subject to market factors and legislation rather than just your own hard labor, but the lack of work and social interaction can leave a hole in your life that needs filling. Now, these are often known as the retirement blues. Through our many years of financial guidance at Brogan Financial, we've seen 
what a happy retirement lifestyle looks like. And we have some thoughts for you on how to actively work towards creating the retirement you dream about. So when people <clears throat> enter retirement, they often start out feeling wonderful, like a major burden was lifted from their shoulders. But as time progresses, a lack of purpose and fulfillment can creep in once that initial bliss wears off. And much, you know, much of our sense of accomplishment comes from overcoming adverse situations and doing difficult things. And when those things are removed, it can leave you, leave you feeling a little empty. And without a sense of challenge, there's no sense of achievement and fulfillment. And then, of course, social activity becomes much harder to sustain. Your work life makes up much of your social life. Leaving your work friends and interactions on a daily basis can leave a social void that can be difficult to fill. If you don't have a plan to fill your days with enriching activities, you could start to feel the retirement blues coming on. So how can you overcome the retirement blues? First is the retirement blues can be overcome with a lifestyle plan that challenges you, keeps you busy, provides adequate social activity, you can replace your work style with a with or work lifestyle with a retirement lifestyle the same way you replace that paycheck in retirement. One thing I often recommend is have at least two activities a week that you do that's scheduled. Especially in the first six months of retirement. That keeps you in routine. The more you can create routine, the better. You know, plan out new hobbies to try. Maybe old ones that you could rediscover. Think about your passions and what can hold your attention and truly fascinate you enough to delve deeper. Most of your life, you've thought about filling your days with productivity that is employable. Well, now you can fill your days with productivity and not have to worry about if that productivity is employable. Sports, the arts, even scholarly reading can be fascinating places to start when it comes to dedicating productive effort to things you enjoy. Also, make sure your budget and income plan have your lifestyle plans in mind. Your hobbies and activities will likely involve some expenses. If you really want to turn that hobby into a passion, you may want to travel more. There's costs of there. A financial advisor is your best resource for figuring out how to balance your unique lifestyle and expenses. So these are just some ideas. And then when we talk about the related expenses that come with that, you know, this show I've talked a lot about market volatility and unpredictability. You just can't be depending on stock market success and, and risk investments in the short term. So in those first few years of retirement, you need to have stable holdings that you can draw your income from so that you can act on a lot of these things we're talking about for fulfillment without worrying about short-term income. You know, there's people often say in retirement, you've got a fixed income. Well, you don't want to depend on a variable investment for a fixed need and a fixed income. So you should be drawing income for the next five or six or seven years from things that are much more stable or even protected. If they're protected, you've got to look at who's backing the guarantee. But you don't want to be living on market investments that are, you know, volatilely going up and down. Those should be invested for, you know, the future 
at least five, six, seven years out, and then you create more balance and diversification so they don't go up and down too much with the diversification that I talked about in the last segment. So creating planning, not just for your money, but for your fulfillment and for your lifestyle is critically important as you plan for retirement, whether you're already there or almost there. Now today we've been talking about economic uncertainty because a greater financial plan can provide for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you for tuning in this week here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Thank you to Riley for running the board, engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. Next week we'll have on Dr. Harold Black, Professor Emeritus from the University of Tennessee, and we'll be talking about the implications of federal debt and Federal Reserve policy. Is federal debt a good or bad thing? So have a great weekend. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.